episode 237 of the winning six podcast i'm your host adam mcgee and joining me as usual it's jordan tresky hello there jordan hello how are you doing good <laughs> we're the quiet time jordan it's you know quiet it's a quiet place out there krasinski <laughs> uh we knew jabari suture being resolved would lead to this i mean it's not not that it's all completely done, it's just we don't have any real timeline. It could be maybe the books could look to do something and make use of what could be two open roster spots. Maybe they'll look to make some trades, but right now all's quiet. And with that in mind, we thought it was a perfect time to do a mailbag episode. We haven't had a chance to do a mailbag for a little while because a lot of our episodes have been time sensitive and little impromptu when Jabari leaves when Brooke Lopez signs, when Urson signs. So we thought hey, this would be a good chance to let all of you kind of, I don't know, if there's anything you wanted to hear us talk about, if there's anything in particular, any burning issue in your mind that you wanted mine and Jordan's thoughts on, I don't know why that would be the case, but <laughs> we're, we're here to oblige <laughs> on that front. Uh, we're going to take some questions. Jordan, are you ready for some mailbag? I am. I have pre-prepared answers to questions. I don't know what they are. Yeah, Jordan's just going to give an answer. It may not, it may not be apply relevant to the question, question whatsoever. It may not <laughs> really be about the books, but Jordan has compiled some answers that he'll deliver, I'm sure. Firstly, from at MKE Robert. Are the books being slept on by the greater NBA? I may be overestimating the books, but I see some prime candidates in the East for regression, and the books aren't one of them. Looking at you, Sixers and Pacers. And this is, as things are quieting down, it's been one of the one of the more frequent discussions, I'd say, that you can see rising up on books Twitter. What's your opinion, Jordan? Where do you think the books should be? viewed as sitting at least heading into the season in the eastern conference with all the changes we've seen um well i think i think you know at this point in the off season these moves these fresh moves free agency moves fresh out of the oven like a well-baked bread at subway <laughs> um any like power rankings like i don't know like i don't i don't first of all i don't really look at power rankings or stuff like I'm that. I'm not and that's a different discussion. I'm not I know, but I'm just that. I'm just saying I know, that's that's irrelevant. We don't need to actually power rank. The... But you've got you're gonna have well, 15 <laughs> No, this isn't power rankings. It's not the power rank. Thing. Power With rankings are power <laughs> rankings should be based on something. They should be based on having something to go by. And the whole point in a very different landscape these is you don't have a lot to go by right now. You don't know what the Raptors will be like. We don't know what the books will be like under Bud. We don't know what the Sixers will look like having lost some of their bench pieces. You don't know what the Celtics will look like with Gordon Hayward in the mix. Like power rankings is not, that's one thing, right? But just a general feel like, uh, what about contact rankings? That's, yeah, that's funny. Basically we're talking about tears here. And I think that that's yes. the only, the only way that's worthwhile doing this kind of exercise at this time of the year where you can say, okay, what kind of grouping of teams should the books be mixing with? Where do those different tiers start? I think, I think that's the question. I mean, Celtics are tier one. It's 
I, your opinion maybe that there's other teams in tier one with them. I think at the East, the Celtics are now in the tier on their own. Mm-hmm. And then I think we probably come into a tier two that the books are in the mix. But what is the distinction of the tier? I think it's a three-team tier with the Raptors and Sixers. That would be mm. my opinion on it. And mm. I'm not very sold on the Raptors because uh, everyone seems to be... I, I mean, it's an annual tradition for me not to be sold on the Raptors one way or another, it seems. I don't think, I don't think you're alone on that. <laughs> but um, everyone seems to be really like buying into how good they're going to be because they've got Kawhi Leonard and it's kind of like... And Danny Green. Danny Green's... Yeah, I like Danny Green, but Kawhi Leonard hasn't played in over a year. Um, we have injury problems that you can look back, what, 16 months now to the origin of them? Seems about right. Um, Even um, further. Yeah. You're talking about those yeah. odds incident. No, that's about 16 months, right? Oh, yeah, that is. Yeah, you're right. Never mind. Um, and then on top of that, you've got the whole newfound attitude or the attitude that he was hiding under the surface how motivated he's going to be to be in Toronto, how all of that plays out. I'm not very sold on the Raptors. I think, look, they've got a lot of the pieces to be good. And the other element that is a wild card, I mean, a really good, well-thought-of coach, but what does Nick Nurse do with the Raptors, would do with this group of players as the Raptors? How different do they look schematically to what they did last year when really they started to implement a lot of his ideas? I don't know. Um, the Sixers, I think, are better than a lot of people want to say they are. The common team I've seen over the last month is people saying the Sixers aren't as good as everyone says they are. That might be fair, but I still think they're good. And I still think they've got a lot of stuff going on for them. I think the Celtics are better than the Bucks. Beyond that, there's so much room for change. How good can Bud make the Bucks? Um, how do Brook Lopez and Ilyasova impact things? What are those other teams around them getting out of their players? I mean, if Kawhi is like as good as he was in his best moments up until now, sure, the Raptors are probably as good, likely better than the Bucks, but we don't know that he will be. There's a lot to kind of shake out there. I'd say the Bucks have the potential to be better than anyone other than the Celtics, but they may also be. I think the fourth best team, I don't, I think the Pacers could have some, not necessarily regression because they did strengthen this summer, but I don't think they'll kick on in a way that's anyway in line with the progression they made last year. Yeah, I I think I've seen a lot of the 13, 14 Suns, 14, 15 bucks kind of thrown their way. Um, But I it doesn't really apply to me because considering they have a, you know, a bona fide star in Victor Oladipo. Um, Sixes are interesting. I think that I, I know I, I, this may have been something I've said that semi seriously, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, but I do think Ursan in particular and uh, losing Marco Bellinelli, even though, you know, they could easily upgrade that with Kyle Korver if they eventually land him from Cleveland. Um, those, the, the players that they filled in those cracks, like Wilson Chandler, Mike Muscala, I like individually. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're like for like, or they're definitely not like for like substitutions in that way. So I think and a lot of it too, I mean, the Sixers finished out last, the regular season last year on like this crazy, you know, streak. They were like insane, uh, down the stretch last year. I think that's why they may be getting a little higher, you know, maybe in that, uh, you know, depending on how people rate their tiers and stuff like that. I think that's why people put them in higher esteem than, you know, uh, possibly Toronto or even obviously the Bucks and maybe definitely the Pacers or something like that. So I I don't know. I think it's interesting because Pacers and Sixers, they were definitely there. It it was different how they, how they performed last year, but they also, kind of you could kind of read into it or look into it based on what you know between Olodipo rising out of nowhere and the Sixers getting big uh buyout players with Ursan and um Bellinelli and how that kind of 
I guess, changed their season or, you know, down the stretch or whatever. Uh, that was very clumsily said. But um, in terms of where the Bucks are, I don't know. I think that's I think a lot of it is based on, you know, they lose Jabari Parker and depending on your point of view, if you're Bucks based or if you're a nationally based writer, that's going to look like a de- it's definitely a departure. But I think between Urson, uh, Brooke Lopez, obviously, that's you know another name that we haven't really mentioned yet. And obviously, Bud and there, a lot of it is based on trying to grow from within with the players that they have. Um, and I can understand why people are kind of, you know, underrating them or not as high on them or whatever. And obviously the whole Bucks don't never trust the Bucks connection that everybody adheres to at this point in the year. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's definitely Celtics. I would say the Raptors and the Sixers and then well, yeah, I think the Raptors, it just puts a lot on so many of those young players unless Kawhi is like, unless Kawhi is something we have no real reason well, to believe young, in uh, right now. The thing with the Raptors, I know obviously their playoff disappointments quickly come to mind, but they won 59 games in the regular season last year. It wasn't like, I wouldn't say there's anything that they need to overhaul or these players have to continue surprising because they were able to do that last year to me. You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing is that there wasn't... Yeah, but they, they also have key other... players who are now, if not already, on the downturn in their career. They're approaching that point in Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. So, like, how much can OG Ananobi, uh, DeLon Wright, yeah, Pascal Siakam, how, how much can they do right now to balance out any possible early signs of kind of regression or not regression, decline from uh, guys like Ibaka and Larry. I don't know. And then what is Kawhi Leonard? I mean, Kawhi <laughs> and Danny Green. Danny Green's going to be incredibly helpful to them too. They've he's also on the wrong side of thirty. He is. Too. That's true. I mean, I, I, they've got a weird mix, and it is a mix that is kind of perfectly placed. That if they're to get it right, they can kick on and be like a top end contender for the next three or four years. If it goes wrong, they can be a really quick turnaround and an up-and-coming team within the next three to four years. It's it's really up to them. It's a good place to be in. I don't know what it'll ultimately translate to in results. I think with the Sixers, um, if Markel Fultz has actually figured out how to shoot again and he is good and useful, they will be as good as the lofty projections of what they are, say, what the lofty projections of what they could be say they are. On the other side of the coin, I think the the big thing that isn't talked about last year is that was about as healthy as they could get. And considering the history of Embiid and Simmons, are they going to get another year with so little in terms of injury problems? I mean, the odds would say it's unlikely. So there's a lot in the mix. I'd say the books are a top four team. They should be a top four team. Beyond that, we don't know how much... Bud can instantly kind of fuel a major improvement with this team. We don't know what kind of internal improvement the books might have. It's hard to tell, but I'd put them ahead of the Pacers for sure. They could they be better than the Sixers? Could they be better than the Raptors? I'd say yes. Um, I'd struggle to see how they could be better than the Celtics over the course of a season right now. Yeah. Again, from MK Robert, has the books bench gone from a point of weakness to at least average heading into next year? I'd, I'd say yes. I'd say it's almost a strength. I don't mm. think that... Now, part of that depends on what way they work lineups out. Like, if Brook Lopez is a starter or Brook Lopez is a bench player, um, I feel like he'll be a starter because I don't know if he'd have taken that contract from the books otherwise. But I do think it's improved pretty significantly. Obviously, there's... There's elements to that. I think Jabari was obviously a valuable bench player in terms of what he can give you skills-wise, but that was so inconsistent and with all the other problems that could have come along with that, I'm not sure how much losing him is going to hurt in that regard. What really depends on for all this is health. It depends on is Brogdon a starter or is Snell a starter? Is, say, Ton or John Henson a starter or is Brook Lopez a starter? Ilyasova certainly gives you someone very capable there. 
Sterling Brown looks like a player who should be able to continue developing and take bench minutes. I mean, there's definitely a, there's definitely multiple scenarios where the books can put out four to five really good and serviceable bench players who you could trust throughout the season. Who, if it was the playoffs and you were you were going that far into your bench, you'd feel good about it, which wasn't the case last year. That's still not saying though that injuries couldn't quickly deplete that because. Obviously, we don't know what the back end of the bench is going to look like yet in terms of the last two spots. Where we don't even know what the two-way guys will look like, and that could be a factor at some points. And then you've got DJ, which can DJ give anything this season? You've got Dante, which based on, <laughs> not based on, but coming out of summer league, can Dante give you anything this season? So I think there's, it's safe to say the books will have 10 to 11 capable contributors. It's just if injuries test you and eat into that where you're down a couple of guys, then things aren't quite as strong. I, th- I think it's average. I think it's average at best. And with everyone healthy and when they're in a good flow, their bench will be quite good. It's just that their depth gets tested beyond that. It's probably still a little vulnerable. Yeah, I, I mean, this is a question that could easily change in a couple of weeks. A couple weeks, a week, um, depending on what happens with Brandon Jennings, because then that obviously frees up a roster spot, and they can search for you know some veteran or some you know veteran minimum uh, player, whatever. Um, yeah, at this point, I I think average. I might trend towards below average. A lot of it is the the whole projecting the where the Bucks stand is again just based on how much can Bud really transform or uh, unlock the players that are have shown inconsistency so far? Guys like Thon, um, DJ obviously is not inconsistent, but it's more of just, you know, unlocking him to become like an NBA level player. Uh, Sterling getting, giving him a chance to really shine. Um, you know, it goes on and on and on. So definitely Ursan gives them the jolt, the kind of uh reserve, you know, spot of shooter. The Ursan things, the charging, the <laughs> the, the tippings, the offensive rebound t- tippings. Um but yeah, I don't think it's I, I don't think I'm I'm not like looking as a really a, a strong uh suit for this team so far. I mean, also, it depends on stuff because what do you measure a bench as? Like, if the books stagger all of the time, exactly, yeah. they can have two lineups that are really good at all times. I think that's where that's where I'd look at this and say, okay, there is a path to them being considered as above average to good in terms of depth, as with everyone healthy and if the rotations are managed properly, you can have really good lineups on the floor basically throughout the course of a game. And I don't think they could have stretched there last year, but then again, the rotations were rarely good enough to find out. So I'd I'd be optimistic about that with things handled properly. I think Ursan is uh, I mean, he's a big plus compared to what they finished the end of the year with. Because again, remember, really Mirz Toledovic should have been a part of that in terms of having players capable of doing something coming off your bench, and that didn't work out. Uh, we've got two Brandon Jennings related questions that I'll bunch together <laughs> um, from at Bob Paul guys over under 0.5 Brandon Jennings on the roster come August 2nd. And again, from MK Robert, will the books cut Brandon Jennings by August 1st? Mainly asking as I know Adam and Jordan will likely stop doing the podcast if they don't. Um, yeah, we might stop. I mean, I don't want to, I'm not going to commit to that, but we might. <laughs> Um, I I don't see how they can keep him. There's honestly, no way they could keep there him. Is right? no, there is no, <laughs> no way, way he could be on the roster after August first. He shouldn't have been on the funny? roster in the first place. Yeah, the five year anniversary is going to be the day before of his trade, so it'd be really a funny first. Actually, this is this is where I would find the absurd. Uh, positive in this that five after five years of tra- or five years from trading him to the Pistons for Middleton uh, night and of course Slava Kravstov uh, I'm a Slava for you as Britney Spears would sing 
It would be really funny if the Bucks <laughs> decide to keep Brandon Jennings for you know no reason at all. I I I I just oh I would oh, I don't understand. It's already I don't get angry about many roster moves, but I just don't find the benefit in this at all. Um, I mean, why was he there in the first place? That's I mean that's a real question. Yeah. Um, I. You've got Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Delhi. You've also got Dante now. I think it's more likely that they'd be interested in bringing Jason Terry back again. And if you're going to have one of Jason Terry or Brandon Jennings, it should be Jason Terry. I'm not saying that that should be your only decision because there are other guys still available that you could do better than both of those things. But... They, they can't. I mean, we're setting it up for them to actually keep them by saying they can't do it. We're daring them to. But there's zero reason to keep him. He was, first of all, he was only signed and you only needed a four point guard because they had an injury crisis at that position. You don't need to carry four point guards and a rookie guard who, you know, they hope can play some minutes that position into the season, particularly when you might have four centers at the other side of your roster. Yeah. Um, there's no no reason to do that. So, no, I don't think so. David Nwamba's still out there. Do, do, do. Please. He is. <laughs> um, the Cavs are supposedly very interested in him, though, aren't they? So, I don't know. I don't know. He's still unsigned. Yeah, I, I feel like if the books wanted him and he wanted... I mean, they, they could give more than the minimum for him would be what they have left over from Ursan's mid-level, which is like a couple million, right? Something like that. They could have, they could give him that and see. I don't know. I'm not optimistic on that, although that would be very nice. For Atsoka Mint, is Milton good enough to be the number two option on a championship-caliber team? If not, should the books try to trade him for one while his value is high? Or wait and try to sign a star-free agent? Okay. It's time to get real here, Jordan. <laughs> what is a championship caliber team? What is it? Why does it exist? It doesn't. There's dynasty type teams, right? Jordan's Bulls, the current Warriors. You know, my Bulls. <laughs> whatever, whatever example you want to put out there, who win championships? The books are not currently on their path to being a team like that who are going to be competing year after year after year after year. I don't honestly know if there's any short-term path for them to become that kind of team, and that's including or excluding Chris Middleton. If they become that kind of team, it's more likely Yanis will be like 27, 28 um, on his next contract. Hopefully at that point they'd have all sorts of freedom, maybe they're much better positioned and able to draw people much much more easily. I think the, the situation the books are in and the situation most teams in the NBA are in year after year is let's just make sure we're as good as we can be, we push as far up the conference as we can and that we're well-equipped enough that when the playoffs roll around, we can win games. That may not mean you're the best team in the playoffs, but it could be a situation where someone gets injured, you're good enough to be the team capitalizing. I think that's really what the book's future is, and that by a lot of people be framed as like, this is the most depressing. This shows all of the mismanagement. On one hand, it does, and on the other hand, it's really... Yeah, that's the reality of the NBA for most teams, even good teams, is you're good. Congratulations you're still likely not going to get a championship out of it and you're going to have an uphill battle to try and make the marginal moves that can push you above that. This is the NBA. Is Middleton good enough to be the number two option on a championship caliber team? The answer is yes. If your third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh options are all at a sufficient enough level to elevate you above maybe a three-star team that has nothing beyond that. It would be dependent on a coach building a system that the players execute well enough that you're going to pick up advantages in that way. There's so much that plays into it. It's not just 
is this guy good enough to be number two option championship or is he not? It doesn't work like that. The question is, can you be a really good team, a really competitive team in your conference with Chris Middleton as the second best player? And the answer is, if Giannis is the first best player, the best player. Um, first best. Yeah. <laughs> it just happened, Jordan. Second best yeah. makes you then do it. But if Giannis is the best player, the answer is, yeah, he probably can. Because, I mean, LeBron James has got some pretty some pretty bad teams to conference finals over the years, right? Mm-hmm. To a position where you're within within range of you know going and winning a championship. Look at the Mavs and the Mavs on a championship. Why can't the Bucks be a team like that? Look at the Pistons and the Pistons won a championship. People might like these ideas because these aren't, you know, oh, every year we're back to the finals, back to the finals, going to win, going to win championships kind of, kind of franchises, kind of stories. But I think the most realistic chance of the Bucks winning a championship over the next two decades would come from a run like that. A year where everything clicks in place for your team. Yeah, you outperform expectations and other teams have setbacks that really kind of pave a path open for you. And there's there's nothing wrong with that. Part of this is that you have to be good enough to be the team capable of capitalizing on that kind of situation. I think that's the book's aim. That's really all they could do right now. They've made some bad moves there in the past. They can't undo them. So they have to work with what they have. And with that, is he good enough? Sure. Now, if you get a, if you can get a better player without depleting your roster or even further kind of um, tying your hands in the future, that's a better player, equally good or better fit alongside Giannis. Well, sure, then you move him. But you've got to stay like at a certain level for any of this to be relevant. The question is, if the books lose Chris Middleton, do they get someone as good? Do they get someone better? Is it really easy? Is it easier to say that than it is to do that? And I think the answer to that is yes. Just, oh, don't bring back Chris Middleton and get an upgrade and everything goes well. You win a championship. Right. Go and get yourself an NBA job as a general manager and just show me how easy that is. I, it's not. So the books are in a place where they're not set up to be you know, the most dominant force in the league for the next 10 years. Doesn't mean that they can't at some point fall back into that, but over the next three years four years they're not set up for that and if middleton is really good which it seems like middleton is really good based on years of experience at this point keeping him so that you're at a level where you're just close enough that's a start because the alternative could be being nowhere near and then yana's definitely wanting to leave like this is the other part of this this is you want to be so close to contention that yana's wants to stay you also can't afford to make a reckless decision that sets you back and pushes them out the door quicker. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I, I see it rings hollow to me in general, but whenever I see the cha- words championship caliber uh, team, does that mean winning a championship or just simply going? None, I don't of it, ever... none of it means anything. I know. It's, but that's... It really drives me crazy. And this is the one thing. And people, when this comes to the books, then people paint it as, you know, oh, you know, it's defending books management. It's defending books owners. It's not about that. It's with any team in the NBA. The reason why every team can't win its championship is because only one can. There's only yeah. one thing to win every year. The odds are already stacked against you. It is incredibly difficult. And it can't just be, oh, you just make this move and that's it. You're you're now the champions. Congratulations. It just doesn't work like that. There are a thousand one things along the way that can make it more complicated, that can make it more difficult. And all you can actually control is, oh, can we make our team good? Can we continue to be good? Can we find ways to improve? And that's a different question too. Is this player good enough to be a championship caliber? Do you need to move him otherwise? The championship caliber part of that is irrelevant. He's a good player. Is your team good with him there? Yes. If you can find a deal that makes your team better, do you do the deal? Yes. That's it. And then at the end of that, you play your games and you see where that takes you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I it's no, it's not, it's not all too dissimilar from 
other teams that have generational talents, you know, Pelicans with Anthony Davis, kind of they're in the same spot of treading water because of bad asset management and then, you know, kind of lucking into different their their progress hasn't been you can't see the a steady you know line through it all it's been up and down up and down obviously the the same would apply to the bucks considering the last couple years and basically jason kidd's tenure and stuff like that so yeah i i would agree it's that it's not anything (laughs) if the bucks somehow you know rise from haven't what haven't winning uh a playoff series in 17 years to compete in the East, possibly making a, a run to the Eastern Conference Finals, then your things can start to happen if if you keep writing that kind of you know the hot run. But uh, yeah, it's not anything that's like uh, this great team planning kind of in the vein of a Celtics or. The Warriors or whatever. All that can go to waste, though. That's that's the Celtics could just not be what they are if they'd if Charlotte had agreed to make a trade with them. Exactly. Yeah. Like that. That that is the whole point. It's not all the all the best. You know, the planning can all go to waste. Like it's it's just it's not that simple. You can you can have a strategy and you can find the right player and be wrong. You know, and it's it did by the same token, the book strategy. Mm was very possibly very different to how it's played out because you find Giannis at 15. They liked Giannis at 15. If anyone tells you they knew what he was, they're lying. No one knew. So it just doesn't work like that. Chris Middleton is really good. Maybe next year, and I know this is unthinkable considering recent draft record, but if the Bucks still had their pick next year, which is a whole other thing, which isn't necessarily going to happen, but if they did, maybe they land another player of a really high level who can transform things they find them deep in a draft and all of a sudden you have middleton you have Giannis, and you have that player like we don't know what way these things are going to play out and um, maybe it is a case of I, I think the from everything the books have done i think 2020 is the year where the year before Giannis hits free agency is when they're going to look and say okay what what are we going to do here um how do we improve things they they will be not too far away from from max slot i think Depending on what they do next summer, obviously, um, I'd be assuming Eric Bledsoe doesn't come back. Maybe I'm wrong in that. But if they didn't do that, they'd be close enough that they could probably work to create that space if they felt there was an option. I don't think next year is going to be the year they're doing because I think they're going to look to bring back some of those guys. And I also think part of that may be on, you know, don't get caught up in the summer where everyone has money <laughs> and the books have got caught up in the summer that everyone has money before, which is why they're in this situation right now. You know, things are going to open up in a big way next year. If the books really wanted to join in on that, they could, and it could lead some really ill-advised deals. I think 2020, whether via trade or whether they'll be in a position where they're not far away from being able to really make some moves if they wanted to, if they had to force it, if they had to make a trade to clear some space, they could get there in 2020. I think they'll look to bring back Chris Middleton. And at that point you're gauging, okay, where are we? How close are we? Do we need to make a move? So Yanis has a different look at something before he hits free agency. I mean, we'll see, but I, I guess a lot of this conversation has been fueled by, uh, Zach Lowe and Brian Windhorse in a recent episode of Low Post where, I mean, everyone seemed to do exactly what Windhorse hates people doing and talks about frequently, which is, you know, awful aggregation and people taking something and running without a context. It couldn't have been any more clear on yeah. that episode that they're just open to offers like they would be on any player. You know, like mm-hmm. every team is on basically every player in the league. They're not shopping them. If you want to ring and make an offer for Chris Middleton, they'll consider it. Maybe they'll make a counter offer. And if it's something they feel is going to improve them, they'll do a deal. That isn't news. That's not surprising. But it certainly sparked a whole lot of debate and conversation. Uh, from at JR underscore Andrews 88. What money do we have left at... Uh, any free agents you would want to target? Also, can we bring back Uncle Juice? 
please and thanks what money do we have left um i have very little money i don't know if jordan has much money um the books also have very little money um although on a very different a much more relative scale there's not a lot the books are hard capped at the apron um they're not going to want to go into the tax you're looking at minimums that's all they can do so it depends on what roster spots open if depending on the years of experience a player comes along where the remainder of the the mid-level exception what wasn't used on urson is more than the minimum which as we already alluded to someone like david nawaba who's relatively new in the league that would be the case you could use that it's around two million dollars if i remember correctly but earn that two minimum deals is what the books would be looking at if even they may they may decide to keep Tyler Zeller and Brandon Jennings both for some strange reason and go in with four point guards, four centers. Who knows? From at divine underscore twenty four, will Chris be receiving more dollars from the books than Yanis in 2019-20? Yanis is scheduled to make twenty five point eight million dollars that year. If the books resign Middleton, do you think he'll be making more, Jordan? Ooh. I would say if he signs, it would fall slightly under. I agree. I I think 25 could be very close to the number. I don't know. I don't think it would go above. Yeah. And I think, too, I think the Bucks would be conscious enough to not. I mean, they have to be if, you know, because obviously that is also the they would have to prepare a super rex offer which you know considering how well that's grown since that's been implemented that's not a good uh not a good sign for teams like the books yeah very much true i i think he could be close up but then you don't know a lot of that depends on this season like if chris middleton continues his playoff play into the season they're gonna have to pay him more uh, and you'll have teams rivaling them for him and like if they want to, they'll have no choice. I I think somewhere around the twenty five million could be realistic, and it's still more than possible that he goes lower than that, depending on how his year plays out. We'll see, though. Um, it's an interesting question. It's also one of those things that okay, Giannis took a discount on the extra year that the books gave up. Isn't exactly all that beneficial, particularly when you look at what they've done since and Jabari's gone and. But with that in mind still, like this is something that happens all the time because it's just how contracts work, that the best player on the team can go through a year or two where he's actually paid less than the second best player because of the time they signed their contracts and the cycle then adjusts itself. Like It's not unusual, but I think, sure, it could be in play here. Um, from at divine underscore 24 again, can we reframe that is mids good enough to be a number two in a championship team debate into... Is he good enough to be part of a big tree, a la Manu Parker? Sure, it just doesn't matter. I mean, he is he good enough to be a part of a starting five that wins a championship? Is he good enough to be a part of a 10-man rotation that wins a championship? Could you find a 10-man rotation that includes Chris Middleton that wins a championship? I'd say yes. Like, beyond your star player, beyond your number one and your go-to guy, I don't know how much any of the rest of that matters. It's is he good enough to make the books good? Is can he offer the right support to Yanis? What is the difference between him being in that position to someone else who you can actually get who's actually an option? It's not like would the books be better if Steph Curry was the second option to Yanis? You know, of course it would. It's realistically and considering what they have the potential alternatives they may have to look at. Does he help them be as good as they can be? Sure. Could he be part of a big tree, a really great big tree? Absolutely. But it doesn't even have to be that. It just has to be that you're making the most out of it and a year comes along where everything breaks, all the coaching clicks, all your guys have career years, teams around you struggle, and all of a sudden, you know, you're standing on the podium with Larry O'Brien. Like that's that is how to how teams win. Larry O'Brien? the trophy oh sorry <laughs> i thought that was you know it would be a pretty surprising if it was actually larry o'brien so i thought that would be 
But I mean, who knows, Jordan? From at the vine underscore 24 again, in which case is he worth something close to max dollars? Um, he's worth as much as he's worth. It's really the answer here. And again, that comes down to who is the next best player who you can actually get, who wants to come and play for you. And what is his price? Is Middleton better or worse? That's your decision. That's, that's how his value will be dictated. Are people, I, I think this, especially in the last week, people are, I think the, the hope that are, that fans must be clinging to is at best case scenario, Middleton is good enough that you can flip him for a Kawhi, right. DeMar type trade. I mean, is that not right in front of everyone right now? That, that is that not something that that trade instantly bring, brings to mind? Yeah. Like, if he's good enough that he's really good, the right situation could come along where that's all it takes to get someone better. You know, if you end up in a position where you have leverage. So, like, I, th- I think a lot of that, just before we started recording this, Kevin Love signed his extension with the Cavs. Like, on one hand, that's the Cavs saying goodbye to cap space next year. And, you know, what were they doing with that anyway? Instead, they've decided, okay, let's keep our asset. And... We can trade him. You know, are you going to get, if you want to cash Kevin Love in for draft picks at some point, are you going to get more draft picks out of Kevin Love on an expiring or Kevin Love when the team knows they have him for five years? Yeah. So I think it's a pretty solid move. And that's, that could be part of it. If, if Middleton isn't necessarily the perfect player that four years from now, if you're running at the finals, you think he's the guy to get you there. Is he good enough that he can be? a core piece on a deal that gets you that player. If the answer to that is yes, then you'd have to resign him and say, okay, he makes us good as it is. And maybe he's one of the better options we have to making ourselves better down the line. There's just, there's a whole lot more to it and to how you accrue assets, protect assets, try to make the most out of what you have. And right now, I think he's certainly an, a really strong part in all of that. It's uh, the, it's just strange to me that this conversation is happening, but it's nearly August, so I mean, this is what happens. Uh, from at the Vine underscore 24 again, what kind of leash do you give Ton regarding growing pains versus maximizing win-loss this season? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, that's the, that is the big question regarding Thon, because pathway to consistent minutes is not quite there for me because it's not only that you have Brooke Lopez, but John Henson, uh, yes, John Henson is at best a, a fine rotation player, but he serves his, and obviously he's also had his own, in, you know, issues with consistency, but I think at this point you'd feel more safe with what you're, what you know you're getting with John Henson than, Thon, um, on a daily uh, or a nightly basis. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think best case scenario is that he does these flash filled, these playoff uh, performance performances translate into the regular season stage in these kind of controlled bursts of, of playing time, which honestly should have been what he was getting from the get-go because it was when he was inserted in the starting lineup midway through the 16, 17 season, he was, those are like what, 12 minutes, 14 minutes, like in that range. And he did fine considering where everybody's kind of barometer level was with him last year. Then or at the start of last year came into training camp with a, uh, with an injury. And then they had to lean on him a little bit longer with, you know, Greg Monroe getting dished out uh, eventually. And it just didn't work at all. He couldn't find any of his footing. And then they started, you know, having him come inside the, inside the arc. God, Jason kid. Anyway, <laughs> uh, that's very minutia, but I, I, I don't know. It's just that the whole thing with Thon for me has never been grow out his role. It's he's always best used as this kind of, you know, relief type pitcher 
and that he can give you solid minutes in very five to seven minutes at a time per shift or whenever he's on the floor that really enhances his value to the team on the court. Um, but I don't know. There's just a lot of – it's a log jam there. It's a long jam, log jam, baby. We need Paul Bunyan to hit that tree. I don't know. I think the biggest reason to give him longer a longer leash this year was stylistically was to say, okay, we need to play in this kind of style. John Henson can't do it. Ton is the guy. And that has obviously been negated by the addition of Brook Lopez because he will do a lot of it. Now, I think there's still room for Ton in that regard because as we've seen now two years running in the playoffs, there are things he can do defensively that no other big on the books is going to be able to do outside of Giannis. So no other... No other big who's currently kind of categorized as a center is going to be able to do. I think you get him more minutes. I think ideally he is good enough that he can be the backup center to Brook Lopez. Is that going to happen? We don't know. I mean, we really don't know. And if he's not good enough and John Hansen is and you're a good team, I mean, you need Tom to develop, but you can't also develop him at the expense of, you know, a Giannis Antetokounmpo-led team being really good. So there is kind of a balance there. You, you'll you give him every opportunity if he's able to perform when he gets the opportunity. There's going to be a baseline that he has to give you to stay on the court. And if he's not doing that, well, then they will have to say, okay, you're not playing. Um, because I think one of the big reasons I, I would have, I think we talked about this. I would have liked him to be the starter. I would have liked him to take on a much bigger role this year because I would have said, okay, just his, the archetype of what Ton is, is better suited to making the books better. But now they've got a player who's more experienced, much more proven, more capable, more skilled. And Brooke Lopez will get the bulk of those center minutes as a result. And then you'll also, they have more potential for small ball lineups, whether it's Giannis, whether it's Urson, you know, whatever way they want to do that. So we'll see. Like, there's a lot to shake out in center position, if not before the season, certainly when it starts. But I think you need to certainly have a, a focus and an aim on getting him minutes and giving him every chance to develop and improve. But if he's not actually doing that in games, well, then he'll lose a spot. He loses minutes. And there's not a lot you can do about that. Like the books aren't a rebuilding team where you sacrifice everything for the benefit of having Ton improve. From a Taylor Desh. What are your thoughts on the books bringing a max free agent in the next two years to play with Giannis? Who is most likely in your eyes to become a book? Um, no one. <laughs> I mean most likely I don't know I I can't there's no one player I could tie and say you know this is the guy he's going to want to be a book everything's going to line up I don't know I mean there's so much just reckless speculation and guesswork in that to begin with Like, who even fits the bill that you're talking about do you is Jimmy Butler, you got Jimmy Butler leaves Minnesota, you know, played at Marquette. He might like to be back in Milwaukee. Um, like, is that it? I don't know who else. I don't I don't know what way you do this. I you and I have talked about this before, and I, I've long liked the idea of Kevin Love alongside Giannis. And if they had have went the route of okay, let's look at our options next summer in free agency, he's a player I would have been interested in. That's gone, but then I guess the answer to this question, a lot of the conversations like this is maybe it's more realistic that he becomes a book at some point now that he signed a new deal than it was otherwise. You know, the the pick O to Phoenix will clear at some point. The books will be in a position where they can make trades. Um, there are also, you know, like Ursan's a good example for as much as people complained about Ursan. Ursan's one of the most tradable contracts on the books because it's not actually that bad a contract. Most teams would be happy to take it on. Traded eight times, and he was traded on a worse contract, much worse at the time. It was basically the same value. He's been on the same kind of contract for years, and yet the cap is like forty million higher now than it was probably when he signed it. Like he is incredibly tradable. He's one of the few 
significant contracts that down the line, um, not this season, but like the year after, if you wanted to make a trade, you could add him to something. A team would be like, okay, if we have to take that, that's fine. Um, and you could add picks to and get something. Like maybe the Bucks add another player. Maybe they make another big splash. Is it going to be a really big splash? I don't know. Everyone's obsessed with Kemba Walker. Obsessed. I could not care less about Kemba Walker, Jordan. Kemba Walker's good. He's good. Do I want Kemba Walker's next contract? (laughs) Do I want his next contract right up to the end of his career at a really high price when, you know, if Giannis does stay, he is in his prime and you're going to have your most open window yet is like a 32, 33-year-old Kemba Walker on like $35 million a year. The answer to that? I don't think so. I don't know. I, I honestly, I don't I don't know what route they'll choose to take with that. I think a trade could still be more likely at some point. But if there's something, particularly right now, when they've just brought a new coach in and there's been so much change and they could look completely different. All of the things we've been complaining about and have been pointing to holding them back over recent years may now be better that this team is just infinitely better in its current form. So much of this speculation looking down the line, I think, is... It's unnecessary right now. We need to see what they are first. We really don't know. From an MKE Robert again, looking to the 2019 offseason, how do the books replace Eric Bledsoe? Do they have viable options while still retaining Chris and Brogdon? Could the market dictate a shorter term for Bledsoe? Would you want them back for, say, 230? Not really. Um... He could have a career year and he could be back on a more lucrative deal longer term and the books could be committed into the tax for what they do next summer. I mean, how do you replace him? You replace him by bringing back Malcolm Brogdon, by maybe adding like a mid-level point guard that's kind of replacement level and planning that your resources are allocated in a different way or you, you do something differently. I mean... At the moment, what are you replacing? I don't know. It's I get the question, and there's not an easiest and obvious answer. And at the same time, that's not enough of a reason why you'd look to bring him back, even on a quote-unquote cheaper deal, yeah, like team-friendly deal. If if he's not the guy, just don't bring him back because like he's not going to increase in value on his next deal with his age. Yeah, he'll be thirty. Don't bring him back and worry about then building up your point guard options again. Um, Brogdon would be fine. I think a lot of people were very happy with the idea Brogdon was going to be the book's point guard for the future. There was always a talk of what would a more dynamic point guard offer them. I think that talk would go on forever. They could cycle through more dynamic point guards and still not quite figure that one out. I wouldn't be worried about how you retain him. It's if he does enough this year to convince you he's worth retaining, I mean, that's one thing. If he doesn't, he's gone, and then you deal with what's next. From an MK, Robert, again, can we put an end to the OJ Mayo stuff? Books fans love mediocre contributors from previous teams. Dare I say, the Bucks Bucks also love mediocre (laughs) contributors from previous teams. Um... I don't know if we can put an end to it because weird stuff happens with the books. I don't know if you heard a few questions ago when we had to talk about <laughs> whether there'd be more or less than 0.5 Brandon Jennings on the roster on August 2nd. Yes. I will say this too. Do we know if he's been reinstated? He's been reinstated. There's no, like, there's no need for there's no there's Adam no Silver's not gonna hold that we've been reinstated <laughs> with OJ Mayo beside him and hand him a jersey with like the NBA's logo on it and be like yeah no he's he's free to play um nobody wants him <laughs> I mean he's he's 30 now right if he's not I think he's very close I, I think there's, he, your, there's your replaceable mid-level player <laughs> yeah Point Mayo's back with a What I will say on this, he's only 31. Um, he'll be 31 November. 
I wouldn't be surprised if OJ Mayo signed to a training camp deal. With the Bucks or yeah, in general? With the Bucks. And I mean, considering what we went through in training camp and the battle for the final roster spot last year. Oh my god. Um he would very much fit the bill of guys who were in that battle. And it really wouldn't matter, but they may do that to continue the whole, okay, we'll give you a chance. And if you can play well enough that you can do all of this paying us back that you've talked about, we can make it happen. I think he may well be given a chance, but I don't think he'd be able to deliver enough to convince them to do anything longer term. But hey, um, what do I know? They brought Brandon Jennings back. I'm surprised we haven't heard like some like Ronnie Stucky like report that teams are I feel like Rodney Stuckey, I've seen like that same thing where oh he's he's holding a, a workout day in Las Vegas or whatever. I think I feel like that's like the fourth time I've seen that. I mean he's been out of the league for a year, but Rodney Stuckey is getting a lot of teams to come see him play, see what he can do at whatever ages he is. Oh, I, I used to like like very early days in Detroit. I used to like Rodney Stuckey. Hot Rod Stuckey. I never called him that, but um, I used to like him then. But I think his time may have passed. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, like 2014-15, he shot 39% from deep. Mm. Averaged 12.6 points per game on the Pacers. I won't mention any of his other three-point percentages. Mm. But yeah, I, I, I Mayo, let's forget it, people. If he's back, I mean, we can all just... Half of the fan base will celebrate before months later questioning why the team's so bad, and the other half will you know, despair. That'll be us. For our journeyman, OTY, out of everyone on the roster, who could make the greatest leap in production? Um, I'm going to go with DJ Wilson because there was no production. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that oh, seems like that's the a most, good answer. It that's seems a very like the most serious way to, if he gives something, that will be a big leap in production. I guess the same could go for Dante. Yeah, I, was, I would consider that one too. <laughs> he wasn't on the team before, so he's already making a big leap. Shabazz. Uh, we'll talk about him By the way, did you know he's legally changed his name to Baz? What? Yes. Really? Mm hmm. Instead of hoops, there's an article by. Was that in that article? I thought I read that. It was like the first first two lines. Hmm. Should have made it a bigger deal. I mean, you should have aggregated that, Jordan. That seems like something that we should have done. But anyway, um, yeah, we'll talk about your Baz in a few weeks when he's officially back. But hashtag Baz back. Um, (laughs) Not Shabazz back, hashtag Baz back. Yeah, drop the Shah. Also from a journeyman OTY, if Henson developed a decent corner tree, how much is that improvement? Oh my value? god, we saw those John Henson jumpers last year. Uh, that is, they're so ugly, so just ungainly looking that I can't imagine it happening. I, I don't, I don't know if it's been made or you know talked about, but he has like this weird kind of gather of like he he shoots. Like his legs are pointing one way, but his body's looking this way. So like his like legs are pointed to the like like I don't know ten o'clock, but his body is like shooting. The hoop is over here at like two o'clock. If you're looking at a watch or a clock, <laughs> it's like a weird funky. I mean, obviously, it's very funky. Anything that John Henson does is pretty, <laughs> pretty mechanical and funky looking. But his shot is most uh, indicative of that. Yeah, um, I don't know if anyone's ever looked at John Henson's shot like that because there's no need to look I saw, at John Henson's shot. Like roughly that. forty of them last year, so I have to <laughs> watch these. I mean, if obviously if John Hansen developed a three-point shot, that would be helpful. But what is developing a three-point shot if he he can't hit mid-range jumpers? So it's not even like it's not even a logical progression. Do you know, Brook Lopez is like a forty. He shot like forty-eight percent from the corners last year. Rarely shot from the corners. 
Shut John Henson is one for 13 from three point range. <laughs> Six seasons. Wasn't that a. Wasn't that last year? Yeah, yeah. He made his first. Didn't it go off the backboard and kind of hop off the rim? Am I remembering that correctly? Maybe not. Maybe it just seems like that's how John Henson's only. I think it was, I'm trying to remember what going. game it was. That was a. It was like at the end of was a quarter. Was it, I don't know. To answer the question, it would greatly improve his value. I don't think it's worth it for the books having him do it to pump the up bulls. The was bulls. It the bulls. It was without Giannis. It was during. Oh, the that crazy game. Yeah, yeah, that was the Baz game the Baz too. Game, yeah, and Tony Snell too, right? Yeah. Um, from at Nordica Murph, I expect player value to increase under the new coaching team. More wins should mean better squad quality evaluation. Where can we hope to maximize this in trades? Hawks University in my head seem to increase wing rep, but the books could do it moving a big. Does Bud improve bigs? I mean, when we say that the books could do it moving a big, that's a really polite way of saying the books could do it moving John Henson. Yeah. Because otherwise you've got Tom, you've got Brooke Lopez, and you've got non-guaranteed Tyler Seller. So they could do it moving John Henson. Does Bud improve bigs? Um, yeah. Dwayne Dedman. Mike Muscala. I, I, they developed Mike Muscala the whole way through. So that's one I yeah, find hard to say improved because they got to shape him. They got to make him. A, they got to choose him for his skill set. million dollar man. And then make him into the kind of player they wanted. Dwayne Dedman, though, is, is a good example. Other than that, I mean, I guess the reason why bigs aren't talked about is because the Hawks had Paul Vilsap and Al Horford for a lot of that time. So it wasn't something they needed to worry about. Now, both of those guys were really good. So maybe there's some credit there that's due to the coaching staff that doesn't actually come out at Millsap in particular. Like Millsap when he left the Hawks as opposed to Millsap when he joined the Hawks. That's a very different player. How much credit belongs to him? How much credit belongs to Atlanta? It's kind of hard to parse. Parse the, I guess, the responsibility out of that. Um, I guess the goal is just to increase around the roster and that guys are better. They're more productive. Forget value. I mean, value goes up if they're productive and that gives you a choice then of, are we better off having this player contribute to us? Or are we better off trading them for something that's more valuable to us? That's the position you want to get to. Um, if that plays out and this is a great problem to have, that can quickly become a really bad thing. The next difficult challenge and something that may not fill books fans with great confidence is not to get fooled into the guys you yourself have developed and to avoid the mega overpay on the next deal just to keep players who you have coached to be above average but are essentially average. That's a big part of what sunk the Hawks. Um, Baysmore is, is the prime example and there were plenty of books fans who wanted Schroeder. to pay him just as much at the time. Yeah, Schroeder too. Um that's a trap that I'd be a little worried considering some of the things the books have done that, you know, if they, I mean, the books have essentially, they got a good season out of Tony Snell and they did exactly that. So if that was like a year on year thing that there was players who were overperforming going to free agency, you know, the books would be out of any sort of <laughs> flexibility pretty quickly. But yeah, I'd hope for across the roster, there have been bigs who have improved and developed under the radar, under the guidance of both and the staff. Frat Older underscore Potato. Any potential rotations you're excited about for next season? Brogdon, Brown, Middleton, Yanis, and Ursan. Arton seems fun, switchy, spacey to me. Yeah, it does. Um, that's very close to one I mentioned when I wrote about Sterling Brown yesterday, which would have been Brogdon, Brogdon Brown, Snell, Middleton, and Yanis. Obviously, Yanis hasn't been great at center. I think they'll continue to try that, and it may be something that doesn't work. That would be one of the most switchable lineups in the NBA, though. Um, one of the lineups best suited for that. It would also be a group that would put four shooters around Giannis. Like, on paper, there's plenty of reason to try that out and for it to work. Uh, I'll go Jennings, <laughs> Dante, Brown, uh, DJ, Zeller. <laughs> I thought you were going to go all centers. Uh, we're missing one. I mean, they'll probably take a big on a two-way. 
from at Justin Hendy 44 with four centers right on cue, including non guaranteed Zeller. What kind of big man rotation do you think we'll see? We shouldn't see one with four centers. Um, I don't just mean someone should be a nightly DMP. If you can't move off Henson, trade Zeller. Trade him for cash. Don't just wave him. I mean, if cash is all you can get, get cash. I think you might have a chance of getting a second round pick from something. Might be a distant future second round pick. If it's a pick swap with some team for a second round pick, do it. Whatever it is, get something out of it. I mean, if you can't get off Henson, move Zeller. Wave Jennings. Have two open roster spots. Beyond that, the rotation... They'll definitely start the year with Brook Lopez starting. Yeah. And beyond that is very hard to gauge because it depends what Bud wants to do. I would hmm. I don't know. I don't know if it would be Tonner Henson next to begin with. And how it ultimately plays out is anyone's guess because book centers, if they've proven one thing, it's that <laughs> none of them are consistent enough to yep. not have to like play again a musical chairs throughout the year. Your best one may not even be starting <laughs> as seen through Greg Monroe two years ago. Um, yeah, a lot of it. Honestly, if John Henson does become a shooter in some capacity, I'm going to say it. He's Mark Wahlberg, shooter. Um, I don't know. I would say it's Lopez, Henson, Thon, Zeldman. They can't keep Zeller if they can't get rid of Henson. I know how strange that sounds. Um, <laughs> but if you can't get rid of Henson, Zeller's got to go. You've got to be Zeller's in that market, Jordan. Mm-hmm. And take whatever you can get. You shouldn't have to wave him. You should be able to get something for a player who's as capable as he is on a contract like he's on. So try and reclaim what you spent on him. We shall see, Jordan. That's it. That's it for the mailbag. Um, thanks for your questions. Lots, lots of good ones today. People, people brought their A games, considering it being a while. We appreciate the questions. We appreciate you listening and following, reading, all of that stuff, as always. Uh, we'll be back to you sometime soon to talk about, I don't know what, I guess it'll be the books. Brandon, Brandon Jennings. Oh, that probably is the next time we'll be back. Um. Until then, make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, follow us on SoundCloud, add us on Stitcher and favorites on TuneIn Radio to make sure you don't miss a single episode of Win and Six. You can also read mine, Jordan, the rest of the team's work at BehindTheBookPass.com. You have all your books heard, books gaming needs covered there every single day. Check in. Make sure you stay on top of all of the news, analysis, and opinion. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Yeah.